Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from the Word. Gets in the lift, works for the radio station, and we go, "Oh, it's a bit snug in here. You know, it's a bit rickety." And this person who we'd never met before goes, "Oh, the last boss here was twenty-five stone, and it used to break down regularly." <laughs> I thought that's a nice kind of, you know, volunteered slight on 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 somebody who'd gone. You know. Mm. Anyway, yeah. this is the Word podcast, uh, the, the final Word podcast of, of two thousand and nine. Andrew Harrison, hello, Andrew. Hello, David. And uh, at the wheels of steel, as ever, Fraser Lurie. Hello, David. Uh, Fraser, off, about to go off on your travels again this afternoon, aren't you? I'm just off to Paris for the weekend to catch, catch a bit of Balkan brass, the zenith. Oh, I see. There's, yeah. a, there's a musical destination. Oh, yes, there. yeah. I'm seeing uh, Emir Kasturica and his non-smoking orchestra. You're going to have to say, <laughs> say that more slowly. Go on. Emir Kasturica. Oh, yes, I know. The great film director. Directed Underground and Black Cat, White Cat. And oh, and he's, he's got a band as well? He's got a band as well, I yeah. see. I've got that record. I've got the... Um, I've got a soundtrack to a, a, a film called Underground or yeah, something like good. that. Yes. Yeah, okay. I've got to listen to that with new ears now. You he said n- non-smoking orchestra. That's the name of his, his outfit, yes. Ooh. That's called the non-smoking orchestra. Does this yeah. predate the smoking ban in general, or is this some kind of... Is it, it, it to I don't think the, 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 um, the smoking ban reach, has reached Serbia yet anyway. Oh, right. So. <laughs> it's smoking still compulsory in Serbia, isn't it? I think it, it is, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much all former communist regimes, isn't it? It's, it's, um, it's, it's compulsory. It's holding people together, yeah. It's uh, China. It's, it's big on smoking in China. But uh, only, only men smoke in China. Women don't smoke at all. All men smoke. Absolutely all yeah. men. Olympic athletes, everybody. I don't know, but, but uh, it appears that way anyway. They yeah. kind of stub one out on the bottom of their trainers before yeah. they take part in the 100 metres. Ashtrays on the bicycle handlebars. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, gentlemen, we meet on a momentous day. Yes, uh, Terry Wogan retired this morning. Yes, uh, he did. Were you, were you listening, Andrew? I'm afraid I wasn't. I thought it, was a bit, it would be uh, wrong of me to start listening to Terry Wogan on the last one. I'd feel like uh, an Arivist. So I thought, I'll, you know, he does, Terry doesn't need me. Mark Allen's in the office now, relating bits of the uh, of the broadcast. Though he's doing Terry Wogan for the, for the staff, so it's clearly made a major impact. Is on... he doing the accent? Uh, he's trying to do the accents. He sounds yeah. Welsh. 
Well, he's doing his best. All Mark's impressions sound like George Harrison. Or John Peel. Or Jeff Mason. Now, I'm a bit like you. I admire Terry Wogan hugely, mm-hmm. but I don't listen to him very much. In fact, I only listen to him when I go to the dentist, because he has yeah. him on. And so I associate listening to Terry Wogan with having my mouth open. <laughs> with a, with a, a, a soft anaesthetic effect. Yeah, well, yeah. no, not quite that bad. Just a little bit of, little bit of pain, you know. Yeah. But... Um, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary day to the extent that Gordon Brown has felt moved to issue the latest in a, in a series of uh, personal statements from Number 10, saying how much he's going to be missed. I'm horrified at the notion that uh, Gordon Brown will be listening to uh, Terry Wogan in the first place, which of course he wasn't, was he? He, wasn't he, never, he, said he, he was listening, he was swearing at the Today programme like well, everybody yes, else was. Yes. But uh, I, I thought this was the kind of thing that was going to be left behind. I yeah. thought, you know, Gordon's attempt to connect with, with pop culture... Uh, I thought this. Was, I thought this was a Tony Blair thing. Why, I, why can't he say, I "Don't listen to Wogan. I have a country to run." Yeah, I'm yeah. far too busy. You see, I think Gordon Brown's major error is is he had an opportunity when he when he, he went into number ten to be a miserable Scottish git. Yes. Know, when a miserable Scottish git was called for. Yeah, Absolutely. people would have quite liked that. They would have said, and oh, he should have just stuck to it. I'm not coming out yeah. to talk to anybody. I'm trying to, you know, I'm doing a serious job of work No here. more Mr Nice Government. That's what people wanted. <laughs> it's absolutely. And instead he sort, of has to, he, he sort of drags his face into this rictus grin, which collapses a second after he's finished saying, I'm sorry to see Jed Wood leave the X Factor. Yeah. And, and we'll see right through it. And I hope Susan Boyle gets looked after. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Is he the last Prime Minister? Sorry, I don't want to tell this to political show. Is he the last Prime Minister who's going to be rubbish on television? Because that's his key problem. Because every, yeah. I've never met Gordon Brown, but everybody says he's very good personally, you know, yes. in, in a meeting and a party and so forth. But he clearly, camera, he freezes. He does, it's right in headlights. You know, and increasingly Blair, that's and camera and whatever, they, yeah. they deal with, they're, they're, they're like they're TV performers. Increasingly, you know. that's the only skill that's required. Well, but, yeah, if, if, if we demand it that way, yeah. I suppose <laughs> it is, you know. And uh, I think they probably hoped Gordon's, you know, flinty integrity would come glimmer through, and it sort of doesn't, does it? Yeah, it just people just people people don't think he's a miserable sod in a bad way, yes. rather than an ineffective yes. way. Well, no, 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 back to Terry Wogan. Did Terry have special guests? Did he? Did he have amazing walk-ons? I don't know. I didn't listen. Oh, to right. But, but I, all I know is that the whole of the media seemed to be focusing on it to the extent that the Guardian website was covering it live. That, so thought, my God, how the world has changed! What they're tweeting Guardian a radio website show covers. You know, radio to none more middle of the road. Because it, it's not as if you can listen to it yourself and yes, so you just need coverage. It doesn't well, need ball by ball. So. It's a radio show. I but suppose so. I know what Radio Two should do. I've got the solution for them. Go on. Which is the best Terry Wogan impersonation anywhere is done by Peter Serafinovich. Right. So they should just get him in. And people wouldn't even notice the difference. They should get him in, all the old catchphrases, all the, the gentle Irish lilt and laughter and all the rest of it. Be fine. Oh, you mean I'm in the future? Put yeah. him on a week's contract. Yeah. He can terminate at any stage. Abs- you won't need to pay him as much as Terry. But yeah, well, I'm sure he'd be very, very reasonable rates, you know, uh, more reasonable rates than superstar DJs get. So, so it's, it's interesting. So that's a changing of the guard at, at uh, Radio 2. And also at the same time, Simon Mayo yes. moves from Five Live to Radio 2. Um, Friend of the magazine, Simon Mayer. Absolutely. Subscriber to the magazine. Yes. Um, and then it's not just for that reason that we're saying he's very good, isn't he, Andrew? He is very good. He's, uh, he, he's somebody who's managed to make that transition from music into talk radio completely seamlessly. He's not in any way an egotist, which, which tends to be... You know, the background of the, of the music DJ tends to be, you're not really here for the music, you're here for me, I'm amazing. Simon Mayo's not like that, he's a genuinely interesting bloke who asks generally interesting questions of people and manages to get references to Half Man, Half Biscuit into a national radio show, which makes him... <laughs> 
think the, my favourite. I think the other thing he does, which um, the majority of people on TV and radio don't do, particularly star people, is he prepares. Yes. You know, when you when you get, I've been on Simon's show a few times. You have, you know, yeah. on topics or whatever, and he knows what he's going to ask. And you don't get the feeling that the question has been shoved in front of him by a researcher no, you get the, you five get the, minutes before. You get the impression that he actually has a life outside the radio and pays attention to stuff. And when you follow him on the Twitter, uh, as, as you must do, um, he's always watching, reading, listening, going out, doing stuff. He doesn't exist in this... You know, there's a wide, widespread belief that everybody in media just goes to media parties and never never escapes the bubble. And it's true of a lot of people. But I don't think it's true of him. But he's, he's, he actually is a real person who does real person things. So this begs the question. Now, he is, as you rightly say, one of the few, I can't think of any, who come out of pop music radio and and proved himself a great all-rounder of kind of current affairs and entertainment or whatever. Um, Isn't he wasting this by going to Radio 2 to play kind of... You know, well, yeah, play but, Amy Winehouse records, and here's but the news. it's the things that will be in between the Amy Winehouse records, don't it? Because it, it's not—he's not purely doing music and entertainment, and and uh, you know there, there will be current affairs things in there. And because the station is so enormous, maybe the trade-off that you sort of lose—what is it, forty percent of your show—to play a playlisted selection of music, you gain in the massive footprint of many, many more people are listening to your current affairs piece on two than they are on uh, on Five Live. Well, it might be true. It's going to be difficult shoes to fill, Five Live. Richard yes. Bacon's filling them. Yes. Another former TV person. Yes. Which you can't... I'm sorry, I can't get rid of this prejudice against former TV people doing radio programmes. Some of them are all right. Yeah. I've yet to come across one who was brilliant. Yeah. Whereas, you look well, at... Mayo's fair, brilliant on the radio. Chris Evans is brilliant on the radio. Terry Wogan is brilliant on the radio. To be fair, Richard Bacon was pretty brilliant on the thick of it. He was really good. Oh, well, he, I, I, he, I stopped watching that when it stopped being funny. When was that, Dave? It's still funny. <laughs> no, I did complete, I, actually, I've put up the whole strand. I watched the film. What do we call the film? In the Loop. And I, was, I thought it was so tedious. I stopped yeah. about a quarter of an hour before the end. I just God thought I'd been battered by this thing. No, it had no well, wit. It just had the abuse instead of the wit, I felt. Nah. It was rather in love with itself. It's not really format. about... The great, the great thing about In the Loop, stroke the thing of it, it's not really about Malcolm. It's about Chris Addison. It's about the bottom feeders. It's about the the young special advisors and their miserable lives as they are punted up the rungs to become the likes of Malcolm. Malcolm's actually a cameo in most of these things. No, I can can understand the theory. It still gets to a point with the comedy programme where you sort of... You expect to... You watch a comedy programme. Call me old-fashioned. You're old-fashioned. Fine. (laughs) At some stage, you're going to have a strange physical sensation, which we used to call laughing. You know, and it meant you sort of... You kind of let go of yourself. You went, <laughs> you know, it's sort of against your will. You didn't see it coming. <laughs> I don't feel that at all. Uh, this is, I, I can't, a podcast is not, is not a suitable place to, to try and convey a cynical grin. But that's, I've, you know, when I watch things like that, I notice that my mouth has jammed itself into this curious I, position. I find myself laughing really hard at the thick of it, but also kind of screaming in pain at the same time, because it's the, it is the, the, the ultimate... Uh, incarnation of the comedy of pain that has been the thing that, that's driven comedy for the past 15 years, hasn't it? From Alan Parter genres, it's the comedy of embarrassment, it's Ricky Gervais, it's squirm comedy. And this is really agonising squirm comedy. And I can really see why people want the opposite. They want Flight of the Concords, they want Bill Bailey, they want gentle and surreal and peculiar. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I still like it. Do you think, it's, do you think Fraser, it's something to do with... with 
you know, things like The Thick of It, you know, which is a kind of cult comedy. What is it, three series now? I should, I should say that I've never seen it. Oh, OK. Well, you can still offer an opinion. It's done, it's done three series, is that right? It, yeah, it's... Well, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. You know, so, so let's say it's done 30 episodes or something like that, and there's a bit of film. Therefore, whatever you feel about it has to endure 30 episodes worth of, of exposure to it. Yeah. Whereas, you know what I'm going to say now, Faulty Towers. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about, 12 uh, yeah, but then, then, then you talk about The Office, the American version of The Office, where there's over 100 episodes. Or and, and interesting point, and works because it's become gentler yeah. to, also, to take into account that. But to also take into account that if you're going to watch them over a long period of time, you have to like the people in it. Yes. But there are people to like in the thick of it, and the interesting thing is that... <coughs> pardon me... Um, Unlike Faulty Towers, they have rotated the cast. Obviously, they had to rotate one particular character from the first series for, in, under circumstances that television has never really had to deal with before. But when you see them bringing in um, the, the Conservative Shadow Minister and his, his analogue to, to Malcolm, his shadow, who isn't exactly like Malcolm at all. In fact, he's very much the opposite. He's a, he's a bike-riding, touchy-feely imagineer. Underneath it, he's every bit as much of a bastard as Malcolm is, but you find yourself liking the Tory shadow guy every bit as much as you like, you know, Rebecca Front as the kind of poor old victim um, Labour minister. So there are, there are people to like in there, and the humour is not always, you know, red in blood and claw. Give it a go, Dave. You oh, I give, like give it a go. Give I, it a go. First two series, first series, you know, enjoyed it. Second series, enjoyed it less. Third series, I thought, oh, give a stop now. You're all, you're all far too fond of yourself by this point in your career. Anyway, we've said enough about that. Yeah. Questions coming in from the Word Massive. Is this live Twitter? Live Twitter for you. Uh, John Ellum, it's, good, it's a good topical question, wants to know if any of us have bought the Rage Against the Machine uh, single, Killing in the Name. I yeah. have. I bought it. Uh, I also, I've also bought the, uh, the, the, third, the strong third runner, Viewers, don't forget to download it. It's cliched to be cynical at Christmas by Half Man, Half Biscuit. Now, let's just roll back a bit. Believe it or not, yeah. there may be people listening to this who yeah. aren't aware of this Rage Against the Machine okay, well, the Christmas de- number one business. The deal is, hot controversy corner, um, there is a Facebook campaign. And Facebook campaigns are usually the acme of utility, aren't they? They don't yeah. really get any order. This was actually getting somewhere. <laughs> um, you know, buy Rage Against the Machines, Killing in the Name, make it the Christmas number one, wipe the smile off Simon Cowell's face. And on the one hand, you think, oh, for God's sake, this is just a little bit studenty, isn't it? You just want some swearing on the radio on Christmas Day, which you won't get anyway, because they won't play it, because it's got swearing in the middle. But on the other hand, I, I quite like the idea of, of, of you know, Making sure that Simon Cowell's eye gets wiped for once, you know, yeah. that he, because the one has been so dull for such a very long time. Well, that's you know, certainly that's the last certainly interesting one was was Mad World, wasn't it? And everything else is just like you know the, the X Factor. Th- this is the first time that people have been talking about the top of the charts, the number one position, probably since Blur and Oasis. We've uh, had that kind of com- competition going on. I think that makes the chart. It's more an ideological conflict, Fraser. That's what it is. It is. It's uh, and. You know, on both sides, there's kind of there's kind of reason on both sides. I, and you know, I think, yeah. to be honest, everyone wins. McEldery is selling more records because of this and getting more PR than he ever would. Well, Sony certainly win because they've got both yeah, the records. Both of them, and, aren't they? You know. Yeah, But I thought, on balance, I'm, I'm going to put my 79p into Rage Against the Machine because 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 variety is good. I don't particularly like the record, but variety is good. Yeah. And we shouldn't just be able to sit here and go, well, this time next year. We'll know that the most popular record, or at least the most bought record in the country, will be 
you know, from somebody who's come through the X Factor, who that may be the high point of their career. They may never contribute anything to music ever again. It's just a little bit stultifying. But John Savage, the great John Savage, uh, made a very interesting point about X Factor, which is that it's returned music to its pre-Beatles state, when stars had no connection at all with what they sang, how they sang it, how they presented themselves. They were there to be the little, the hood ornament on the gigantic gleaming machine that Larry Parnes or whomever had, had, had put together. And so I suppose, in that respect, you've at least got to say, that's a bad thing, isn't it? Um, well, I, th- I, I don't know if it is quite back to what it was, because it has some characteristics in common. But the thing I just have to keep telling myself about Simon Cowell is this has nothing to do with music. This is a it's television tally, Yeah, it's a tally yeah. This is this is This man has made millions, not to say billions, they're talking about currently, because he has single-handedly rescued... ITV from oblivion yeah. in the UK, which is just incredible. You know, when you think 15 years ago, yeah. they're sort of the huge commercial engines of British business and media, and has had such tough times. Yeah. And they've come back with a format that, and, and didn't we all say, didn't we all predict that the days of kind of appointment TV were, were gone? Yeah, we you know, did. The days yeah. of the whole family sitting together on Saturday night watching whatever it was, Forsyth Saga or Upstairs, Downstairs, yeah, yeah. have gone. No, they haven't. Yeah, they come yeah. they're bigger than ever, yeah. seems to me. Yeah. But the, the, and also, we said that new technology would, uh, would would always rain that stuff back because why are you going to watch the telly when you can be on the internet talking to people around the world? What happens is people are on the on the computer uh, talking, talking about, about, the about the Xbox <laughs> Absolutely. while they're watching it. Absolutely, and I mean, it, it strikes me as. I, I, I can't believe that this hasn't been discussed at a high level in the BBC. Is the amount of coverage the BBC yes. are giving to this thing in news programs? But this yeah. is, and this, this is not like it's not as if somebody's rushed onto the set and assassinated Simon Cowell, so it's a legitimate news story. This is who do you think is going to win tonight? It's opportunity it, knocks. It, it, yeah. It, well, but opportunity knocks was never. As all pervasive. Opportunity Knox was won by Tony Holland, the mus- musical muscle man. <laughs> you know, he used to. Yeah, That's Britain's Got Talent, young. that is. Bring that back. That's <laughs> diversity. He used, yeah. to, he, used to, he used to mime uh, he, you know, move his muscles to the sound of wheels by the string alongs. And he, he Listen, won as if you could only see Dave months. miming this right <laughs> Absolutely, now. Absolutely, yeah. Eventually, we'll wearing, go vodcast. Wearing a leopard skin slip while I'm doing it. It's, a, it's a beautiful sight. But the other thing about Cal, which people don't really want to uh, accept, is that he is kind of by default the biggest investor in new talent simply because of the amount of money he generates you know the the, the kind of 90% of the money that goes into the development of the new acts that are supposedly being kept down by the X Factor comes from profits from these kind of big pop acts particularly you know the massive selling Susan Boyle album for instance and last year's massive selling Leona Lewis album so maybe okay look I can't stand the music it's awful I'd turn it off when it comes on but you have to accept that the money's got to come from somewhere you oh know, yeah! It's practically socialism. It's taking money from <laughs> taking taking money from the from the general public and giving it to snotty art bands. No, I just to I, the I, middle classes like me. Listen, it's you know it's a hugely successful TV format. And dear God, you know it's it's just amazing. It doesn't stop me wanting to punch him. You know yeah. that's my. I I I don't watch any of it. I don't listen to any of it. But boy, isn't it amazing how much you end up knowing about it. Yeah. Even without doing that, I said to my kids one night, one Saturday night, a few weeks ago, they were watching it. And I said, I'm coming in there, I'm going to see it, I'm going to watch it. So I came in, you know, yeah. and I watched for one minute. I couldn't take any more. Because what, what I really offended me was, do the people doing this think we're as stupid as that? 
Now, how's your been? Well, you know, the, well, the notion that, well, for, they sit there and say this is a singing contest. That's the very last thing in the world it is. You know, it's more than common with a show jumping contest than it has to do with <laughs> no, singing. I, I watched that, that it, it's, it's not to do with singing at all. It's to do with TV, you know. Yeah. And TV, and I'm going to repeat this, is the, the only wise thing I was ever told about TV was my, my Michael Jackson when he was controller of BBC Two. He said, TV is all about moments of disclosure and it's all about the human face close up. And boy, isn't the X Factor all about the human it's face. It's all about so, the drama, isn't it's it? It's all about it? looking at somebody when they're told off by the head teacher. I watched and it. are they going to cry or are they going to strike back? I watched it last Saturday for the first time. I'd never watched it before. Um, and this was part one of the final. And the thing that really surprised me was how short all the songs are. They sing a verse and a chorus and they get yeah, hauled off. Yeah, a minute and a half, but the, in, but the inserts where they're standing in that weird tunnel thing, like, they look like they're in the airlock of a spaceship or something. They're really long. And they're really long, yeah. And the camera is, you know, buzzing around their heads, long shot, mid shot, three quarter length, you know, turn round and give it it's a wink. It's all about the That's choreography. That's what it's about. It's yeah. all about narrative. It's all about backstory. Yeah. It's all about. And I haven't watched enough of this to say this in detail, but I get this impression that they. they a, minute, a minute would probably be enough. They bring people on on the basis that. Are they going to look right in front of the camera? Are they going to add to our cast of characters? We're doing a drama here, so we need somebody who looks like an obvious winner, we need somebody who looks like an unlikely winner, and we need all this kind of stuff. But the most important thing is backstory. Nobody can turn up going, well, I'm a singer. Yeah. It's not enough. No, no I'm sorry, you've got to have a mum who's died, or you, you know, you, you've got to be you know, a lone mother, or, 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 or I don't know what. You've got to be something. Or, we a, can, or a cat we... lady, isn't Susan Boyle case? Well, yes, yeah. or a cat lady. Well, but the... Susan Boyle, boy, doesn't that prove the case. Yeah. If Susan Boyle is just an average, you know, your average cabaret singer, your average stage school singer, who can sing every bit as well as those kind of people, you'd be the most unremarkable thing in the world. What well, makes it remarkable is she doesn't look like that kind yeah. of person. So they're playing against their own stereotypes. Well, the real winner of The X Factor was, of course, Cheryl Cole. Yes. She won far bigger than Joe Thingy or any of the other yep. contestants because you tend to forget cause it's such a long series. When it started, she was just a bit. Of, she was a bit of a, a, a bit of a uh, a hopeful punt, really. It's like we'll give her a go and see what happens. Ten or twelve weeks later, whatever it is, she's now the queen of hearts, Absolutely, the uh, yeah. biggest thing in pop. Her album and single have gone berserk. She, she's been taken to the nation's hearts, as, as as is always the way in these things. But I don't think anybody expected that. They, they expected the winner to be... They expected the person to walk away with all the credit from X Factor to be one of the contestants. And Do, it's not. It's no, her. sure. Don't you think the, the other dimension... We, boy, we know a lot about this. Yeah, but three guys who don't, don't watch the X Factor really <laughs> giving off about it. That tells you all you need to know, doesn't it? It's listened to by loads of people who don't watch it either. Yeah. But um, the other dimension to Cheryl Cole, without which Cheryl, Kill is in, Cheryl Cole as a concept is inconceivable, is Ashley Cole. Surely. I don't know. It's, I, no, it I, is. Because it's always in the background. Because she's not just... She has been raised out of the, you know, the Girls Aloud background by the fact that she's achieved the ambition of you know, 90% of 17-year-old girls that want to marry a footballer. I don't and think, she's done I it. don't think that's it at all. You know, I think he has faded right into the background. No, he's still like there. The, like the accelerating stages of a rocket. He has been dumped off and is burning up in the atmosphere. No, she's the thing now. OK, I know she's, I know she's the big star. But I'm saying... Look, it's like, what made Posh really famous? She, mar- she got married to a famous guy. Yeah, but... Nobody else got married to a famous guy. Ashley Cole Nowadays, not David Beckham. There ought to be somebody in one of Britain's uh, universities, mathematician, working on a formula that uh, calculates how much your fame is multiplied by marrying another famous person. 
because it's never been more true than it is now. You know, you put two people together, two famous people together, they don't become twice as famous. They become ten times as famous. Well, actually, Ashley Cole was Ashley Cole really wasn't a Beckham. He, you know, they, no, they, I know. Well, there are no Beckhams posh, available. As the new posh and Becks, they were they weren't particularly successful. But as Cheryl off the X Factor, oh, I agree. Who we love that's been the making of it. I don't think it's actually Cole at all. So and that's the final nail in the coffin of the theory that it's a song competition. Is the two is the four people behind the panel behind the desk? Two people can't sing, and the other two people can't sing either. Yeah, Cheryl Cole and uh, and Danny Minogue. Well, yeah, they, they, they would never, I think, call themselves singers, though, would they? They're well, except stars. they're sitting there they're going... pop stars. They've got to be okay, pop stars. Well, except that this they, is like their judgments are really kind of pompous, music school-type judgments, aren't they? You know, no, I don't is, think that's a very appropriate bit of material. I just, I just of... refer you to, was it Peter O'Toole in My Favourite Year? I'm not an actor, I'm a movie star. Oh, that's, well, that's I know. That's the difference. Oh, I know. Oh, that's, that's a big difference. A big was difference. it Peter O'Toole? I can't even remember. It was, wasn't it? My Favourite Year? Viewers, Twitter in and tell me I'm wrong. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. We're back. We are back. And we're back. Dave went downstairs and bought some pen-like batteries to put into, uh, to keep the internet going, to keep the recorder going. So, uh, yes, it's fresh batteries, so we might sound a bit, uh, a bit more lively and possibly brighter. We record this thing on, on a very fine piece of kit, believe it or not, uh, called an air roll, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh, it's a very small, neat digital recorder, uh, but uh, I've been recording interviews with it this week and um, gone through the batteries. Have we had the discussion about Porky? About Porky? Porky, Porky Prime Cuts. If I said, all right, do, if I said Porky to you, Fraser, what, do you, what does it mean? Porky Prime Cuts. Porky uh, Prime Cuts etched into the vinyl. Messages. Into, into the running grooves. I noticed this the other day when I was, I was coming back from, from the BBC and uh, going down Ridinghouse Street... Yes. In uh, Fitzrovia, I think is what we called it around there. Okay. And uh, I went past a very lovely old kind of office building, I suppose, which has a real arts and crafts exterior, you know, looks as if William Morris designed it himself. And that used to be the headquarters of the cutting room. Yes. Which is where they used to cut the masters for records. And the guy, many people worked there, but probably the best known one who worked there was George Porky Peckham. Mm. Who was a former member of which Liverpool group? Do you know this? Oh, God, I don't know this. A member of the foremost. Was it really? So he's a contemporary of the Beatles, you know, and, um, you know, mate of George Harrison and John Lennon and so forth. Uh, and worked for Apple when they first started with their studio in Savile Row, and then they wanted somebody to cut records for them, and so he did this, and then he set up on his own, and, you know, cutting became quite a big issue in the in the late 70s, early 80s, when the singles market was going mad, you yeah. know, and, uh, and so I don't know... Yeah, I don't know in any great detail what a cutting engineer does, but basically you go in there with the tape, or you did in those days, and he'd listen to the tape, and he'd do a bit of balancing and jiggery-pokery, uh, and then he, you know, they they place a lacquer on a on a kind of lathe type thing, which is the size of the record with a bit to spare, so that you don't actually touch the grooves. Yeah. And then basically a cutting tool would go around this thing, and, and would make the record from which you take it to the factory, and the factory would make the stampers. I think I'm right saying all this. And the stampers were what were they put in the machines to actually press the records. You know, so so mm. many of the so many of the, the terms that we use still yeah. to refer to records yeah. are all, all come from this, you know, in the grooves. And, yeah. Yeah. and Porky became well-known because he used to sign yes. his, um, his records in the run-out groove, well, beyond the run-out groove, in the kind of shiny bit between the run-out groove and the, and the actual label. 
And so if you've got any records from the late 70s, early 80s, I don't know, if you've got an old kind of Elvis Costello single or something like that, go and have a look in the groups. All kinds of stiff records, all, all my madness records, Porky Prime Cut. Porky Prime Cut. If you, and, and I, when I worked for Berserkly around about that time, I took records a couple of times to him. Really nice chap. Real pleasure to deal with. And, um, and he used to say, he used to say, do you want anything written? At the mm. end, you know, and I was kind of young, young and naive. First of all, I couldn't think of anything at all. And, um, and I actually found one that he didn't cut, but, he, but a colleague of his called Dennis Blackham, who was known as the, the, old, the old cultivated uh, nicknames. So Porky was Porky. Dennis Blackham was Bilbo. Bilbo Blackham. <laughs> and, uh, 70s. and I've got, I've got um, uh, Jonathan Richmond, the model lovers, Egyptian reggae. I got out the old single the other night, and it's got a Bilbo Egyptian bopper. Nice. Written in, in the run, I've, I've in been the mentioned in a running groove. Oh, this is yeah. good. Go on, then. The, the very first single from uh, Indie Hopeful's The Family Cat was a band I used to work <laughs> for. And in the running groove, it says uh, Fraser, the big ginger chicken. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. Well, that means you'll now have to prepare a dish called Fraser's Big Ginger Chicken. Well, it will have to, yeah. Christmas. How, have you got a copy of, I think, uh, Elvis Costello's either second or third album? What's, what's his second album? Armed Forces, that second uh, album? You think so? Uh, no, This Year's Model. This Year's Model was the second album, and then Armed Forces came yeah. after that. Um, I think it's This Year's Model, which came out on Radar, distributed by Warners. Yes, it did. And I think if you've got a copy of that, you've got an original copy of that... Oh, I know this. Go and get it out. Do you want to get it now? No. no. <laughs> OK, do it later. Look in the run-out groove, and you'll see the message. If you, for a prize, phone Moira on... I think it's yeah. 0207 486 Wouldn't have been 0207 in those days. Well, oh, oh, right. oh, 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 071 or whatever. Oh, it, oh, 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 oh one. Possibly. Yeah. OK. And... Um, and I remember getting this record and thinking, oh, and because that was the days when you, you got a record and you looked at it so closely. Yeah. Because there was nothing else to look knew, at in those days, Dave. You knew, you knew yeah. very quickly. You didn't discover that six months later. You discovered yeah. it day one, pretty much. You yeah. know? Um, and uh, I, I rang the number and, of course, I uh, was answered by a receptionist who'd clearly been put on to answer calls coming through to this number and had obviously heard hundreds that day. And it was basically, this is wrong, this is a, this is that. So it a wasn't hoax. a real Moira? It was, it was Moira Bellas. I was going to say, it's, it's Moira, Moira Bellas. Bellas. who we know and love. And, and Moira's, you know, PR and, you know, yes. was then and is now. And uh, Moira was the sort of head of PR for Warner Brothers who distributed Radar Records. And this message was put on there as, as a prank by Jake Rivera. Uh, Elvis Costello's manager. On Morabellus. Just say, Blimey. bring Moira for a prize. Good and they got like thousands of people ringing, you know, because those in the days when Elvis Costello record came out, it was, it was a big deal. You yeah. Know. Everybody rushed out to buy it straight away. I'm trying to think of what I proved messages. I can remember. The only one I can, that really sticks in the mind was a Smith's album. I can't remember which one. It just said The Impotence of Ernest. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. Morrisonian. Yeah. There. yeah, it's it's, it's one of the, you know, it's another it's another uh, reason to to mourn the passing of vinyl for all yeah, these all, yeah. all these little bits of secrets. I'm, you don't get secrets. Anyway. Well, you get the, secrets the, in records. C D has generated two secrets. One wasn't a secret at all. It was the hidden track at the end, and yeah. it was always the Stone Roses drunkenly banging a piano after thirty five minutes of silence. And Which this is rubbish. But what was good was track minus one. Exactly. That was good. Go track on. minus one. You start the CD and then you press the reverse button because hidden before the little start thing, 
the little starts frame, because CDs are made of frames, very, very short digital packets of music. And one of them says, this is the start of the CD. That's what the CD player looks for. But when it finds that, on certain CDs, if you backtrack, you'll find a hidden track hidden before the album yep. starts. Sonic Youth Sister, the first yeah. pressings of that had a hidden track at minus one. There's one on uh, Blur's Think Tank, that another Phil Daniels track. There's on, uh, on uh, Soul Wax's Too Many DJs thing, there's a Kylie Minogue remix at track minus one. Viewers, are there any other track minus <laughs> ones you can think <laughs> of? No, I'd, I'd, I'd never heard of them. You learned something yeah, every I day, don't Dave. know that at all. Yeah. But anyway, finally, I, I was looking into Porky, and he's still around, and he does a lot of um, cutting of dance records. And yep. you know, he was the, so he's still specialising in vinyl. Yeah, yeah vinyl, but there's obviously, uh, you know, there is a market, and uh, you know, he's the man who does, you know, the big jungle mixes and so oh, forth. Wow. You know, I would have <laughs> thought that like the, the market, because it's now so incredibly specialist, it's indie seven inches and it's dance twelve inches, and 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 it's audiophile stuff. I would have thought that standards and technology would probably have gone up. Oh yes, it would just be just preserving no. the old ways. It'll be new and I mean, better yeah. standards are cutting, and yeah, but I, I suppose they're working off digital sources now and all kinds of things. But um, you know, it's a, it's it's a fascinating little little byway yeah. in the music business. But one good thing is that record vinyl records are heavier now. They're better. They cost more. A single costs about a fiver, but they're better. They're heavy. You so can kill a cat with I've, one. I know. It's, I got I got I got a couple of Bob Dylan um, the album before last, Love and Theft or something. I got yeah. sent it, and it was on collector's vinyl. Mm. And it would, you know, really would if you, you know, would have stunned a family pet. Yes. You could serve roast dinner on it. Yes, it? yeah, <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> uh, but how much? Is, how much is an LP if you go and buy a black vinyl LP? A black vinyl LP. I think you. Think it's over ten quid, isn't it? A black vinyl LP is nearer twenty, I think, because they're all doubles now because everything's cut, you know, on super vinyl. Are they all doubles? Because I was looking at Rough Trade East, yeah, not long ago, and they did appear to be quite expensive. They're all doubles. Uh, That's because all CDs are seventy minutes long. All albums are seventy minutes long. Yeah, and they weigh weigh a ton, but they are very, very beautifully packaged now. Everything is Tales from Topographic Oceans. Everything looks gorgeous, and and has had love lavished upon it. And I wonder, all right, twenty quid in today's money is that more or less in nineteen seventy-three money? Than whatever an album cost in 1973. 1973, Dave. an album would be two. How much pound, was an album in, in the old money? Two pound ninety nine. For years, there was. So I, mean, I bought an album by mistake recently. I ordered a Danger Doom, what I thought was a Danger Doom CD on Amazon, and it arrived yeah. uh, as a 12 inch double vinyl package. And I realised I'd ordered the wrong thing, and it is a thing of magnificent and rare beauty. I think one of the compared reasons, to what I normally have. One of the reasons vinyl is is actually doing quite well now compared to the way it was, say, five years ago or ten years ago, when it's totally in the toilet is that people buy records not to play. I yeah. certainly do it. I mean, Madness do these limited edition 10 inches that look like 78s. I've got all the tracks on them, but they're just so beautiful. Yeah. You know, they've got the old sort of little tiny label and the, you know, the die-cut sleeve and the old illustration. It's just lovely. You want to frame I, I, them. I play, honestly, at the moment, I play more vinyl than CD. Yeah. This is the order in which I play things. MP3 off, you know, yeah. iTunes, Spotify, God knows what... First, obviously. Yeah, to see if you like it. Well, yeah. no, just generally you, you're there and it's, you know, you're working or whatever and it's just something, or, or you're moving about so it's something to play. Yeah. But when I'm, I'm struck by the urge at home to play a record, it tends to be a record. I don't have a because record player. Well, you don't have a record player, which might hold you back. Yeah. It does hold me back. But I I've, it I've got, I brought my record player back to the front, you know, my workroom at home. And so when I think, right, I want to play a record and really enjoy it, yeah. The ceremony of, of a black vinyl record, regardless of what you think of the sound, yeah. 
is more suited to that moment yeah. than a yeah. CD. Because the big thing about a CD is you've got a remote control in your hand. It's like TV. Yeah. And so you're always aware that you could, if, you, if you're momentarily bored, you flick. Yeah. Which with a record you don't do. No. You know, the record, you, you know, I'm going to put it on side one, and if, if I like it enough, I'm going to take it off the deck, I'm turn it over. Well, I'm, I'm busy, di- busy digitising my vinyl now, still, it's taken forever. This vast wall of terrible old dance 12 inches that I've been playing since 1993. But it does, you know, the, the act of playing it at least once again, to ask yourself, do you like it, do you want to keep it, you know. It's helped me whittle down, it's helped me get rid of a lot of stuff, but it's interesting, to, to just that thing of... They are long enough to enjoy, but short enough that you can't wander off and do something else at the same time. It just concentrates your attention. It's, it's also the ritual that goes along with it. You know, it's like in, you know, it's like, like everything in France. Everything in France they do in a certain style, don't they? they do in a certain form. They don't do anything quickly. <laughs> are you, you going to say they've perfected the art of living, Dave? No, <laughs> but they, they don't do anything the quick way no. in France. If, if the thing is worth doing in France, it's, it's worth, worth devoting a little bit of time slowly. To. Yeah. And and there's a lot to be said for that, to savour it, you know, not to be constantly flicking around, you know, and all this technology, undoubtedly, and we all do it, it just makes us restless, doesn't it? We start off restless, and it makes us more restless. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just the way it is, you know. It's just thought for the day with Rabbi Lionel <laughs> Blue, and now we're returning you to the studio. Uh, and uh, one more thing on records, which I was going to say earlier, where we were talking about singles, is I went to the H&V shop in Oxford Street the yes. other day, and I, I, all the papers and all the radio is all full of the battle for the singles chart and so forth. I thought, I'll go and have a look at the singles chart. <laughs> Good luck. Can you find it? Not without a Sherpa. It, have you <laughs> found it recently? It's a, Andrew, you're sitting on the sofa. Yes. It, it's no bigger than that sofa. Yeah, it's a sad, sad sight, the singles it's department. It's absolutely astonishing. If you want to get a hard copy of any single on, on CD, for instance, you have to buy it the week it comes out and you probably have to mail order it. because they Really? Just, they don't even, you know, real shops don't even bother to stock the top 20 anymore. Well, the, the, this, this is the world's single, biggest record. The, the winner of the X Factor this year, I think that single was available for a day in, in physical form. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I know it didn't oh, come God, out until I didn't know it was that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know... Not you, even in the supermarket. Not even in Tesco's. Singles in Tesco's. Uh, well, I mean... Why would, surely. Why would you need to buy a single in Tesco's when the album probably only costs five quid? Well, because some people do that, you know. And I mean, the singles chart is just absolutely dominated by downloads now, is it? 98% or something? It, I think it's 95% is download, uh, 5% is a physical single, and, and the physical single is bought by nans, really, who go, yeah. I like to. Yeah, I like well. that tune. I like yeah. that tune. And idiots like me want a hard copy. I don't suppose we still get cassette singles, the least successful music carrier in uh, in. What about history. the mini-disc, Dave? That wasn't the great. Mini, well, the mini-disc, and I speak as a person who's got four mini-disc players at home. Yeah. I have. Um, because, and uh, I, I used to use them for various different things. There was a time, Fraser, you're going to find this difficult to believe, before the internet, <laughs> before MP3, when you, if you wanted to make a recording of something, if you wanted to have a load of music to play... You either sat there with a tape player, tape cassette player, as most of us did, and played stuff, and, and then got annoyed that we'd put track two on and, you know, and wanted to do something with the order and didn't have the patience to finish it. Minidisc was the first step towards changing that because you could record 15 tracks on a minidisc and then you could move the order around yeah. and you could delete, you could manipulate. Compared to contemporary ma- manipulation, it's really hard work, but compared yeah. to tape, it was a revolution. Yeah. And the big drawback of minidisc, well, that's why the only people I meet nowadays still using minidisc are radio producers. Um, 
the great virtue of it was that you used a brilliant home recording tool, uh, yeah. device. And that was the one thing that Sony, who launched the mini-disc, did not want to make anything of at all. Really? Oh, God, yeah. They wanted to pretend it was a way to buy Pearl Jam records or Bruce Springsteen records <laughs> or whatever. And, and it wasn't. Well, Nobody they, they wanted They did the same with that, didn't they? That was yeah. the main, I mean, I know that was kind of more of a studio thing than anything else. But they also tried flogging your U2 albums on that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're all, they always think that's going to happen. Perhaps this is something the viewers can help us with. What is the worst music format of all time? The worst, the worst music carrier. Well, uh, they're all in there. Eight track. Cassette, well, that's quite good. It had a certain ra- it, that invented iPod Shuffle, Dave. It had a certain randomness to it. You never knew what you were going to get. It used, to, flipped- it used to stop. I remember my, my brother-in-law had one. Yes. You know, the eight tracks were used by, by a gentleman in, you know, who had sheepskin-collared car coats and nice cars. Uh, and the nice cars, you know, if you bought a Saab in 1973, it would come with, a, with an eight-track player yeah. or something. And I can well remember listening to the Carpenters now and then in his car. And it used to stop in the middle of a track to change tracks. It used to go in the middle of the tune. That's pretty... It would go. That's quite the rubbish. Bit, there was sound of a <laughs> clang, you know, as it, as it wound, and then it moved yeah. you on to the next bit. Absolutely astonishing that it even got off the ground, you know, <laughs> let alone millions invested in it. So, yeah, terrible music carriers. We're re- interested Cassette in that. Cassette singles pretty bad, I think. Cassette singles, dear God, the horrible things. Do you, you remember when they did that thing where uh, it, it was the... the it was a, a pre-recorded cassette with the album on one side and the other side was blank. Blank? Yeah. And then you'd accidentally blank off the album that you'd paid seven quid for <laughs> and the whole thing was a bloody waste of time. But you couldn't accidentally you couldn't accidentally erase a cassette unless you did what, Fraser? You got rid of the little Punch out things. the lugs. You, you yeah. punch out the lugs. I'll punch out, I've got to punch out your lugs. <laughs> uh, well, didn't you used to put sellotape That's over right, the, yeah. Over yeah. The yeah. Thing? So you so can record again and again and again. Yeah. <laughs> that was how we were killing music in those days. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well. Okay. Listen... Um, it, we've got to have a Christmas thread. Okay. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion on the website this week about, which I triggered, frankly, uh, about the difference between real Christmas and what you might call entertainment Christmas. Yes. Christmas as delivered to us via television, via pop songs, via the cliches of magazines and newspapers. And, you know, it always seems to, seems to contain, contain certain archetypes. And one of them struck me about ten years ago, that, that feature writers on magazines, general interest magazines or whatever, always used to talk about, oh, on Christmas Day, you know what it's like? Auntie Vera's had too many gins, and she's doing knees up Mother Brown on the, you know, yeah. on the table. And you think, Auntie Vera died in about 1972. You know, <laughs> it... it, it, it it, it's all rooted in the kind of 1950s or 1960s. It's a bit Beano, isn't it? It's yes. very, it's very, it's, it's, it's actually, what it really is, it's the, the Giles family yes. from the yeah. Daily Express. That's what it is. Uh, that's the kind of, that's how we, that's how we imagine family life to be. And of course it isn't at all. You know? No. It's, uh, you know, uh, people sort of wondering when EastEnders starts, isn't yeah, it? Christmas Day. Well, and also, as I was saying to you earlier, there's a line in the Pet Shop Boys Christmas single that that's, goes... There's nothing on TV that you want to see. Everybody out here is thinking there's millions of things on TV. In fairness, Dave, in defence of the Pet Shop Boys. I knew he did. In defence of the Pet Shop Boys. If the Pet Shop Boys said, let's invade Poland, he'd be there. I'd say they must have a good reason for it. (laughs) Now, they did write that song 20 years ago. When when you only had four channels. So I think that's a fair point. Oh, all right. Well, they put it out again this year. Yeah. But uh, anyway, there's been lots of of, um, feedback to this... um, to this uh, point about about cliched Christmas, 
And we're talking about the anti-Gertie types. I've got a very funny post from Richard Lowe, who talks about, he says, the anti-Gertie represented the generation of maiden ads with the consequence of two world wars, you know, yeah. obviously. Uh, and yeah, I had three maiden ads when I was growing up. One of them, the legendary Auntie Winnie, was a nun <laughs> who'd got done for shoplifting. <laughs> she used to... <laughs> this is straight out of Carry On... Up the nunnery. Hey, I think Richard does come from Liverpool. To be oh, fair. wow. Yeah. Uh, and, Careful, uh, Dave. She used, she used to wheel my mother around in her pram and stash stuff in it. Nice. That, well, that, that's Giles' family. That's, yeah. That is Giles' that family. Giles', that's, family. That's, that's, Giles's nan was clearly from the 1890s in her big black yes, thing. Bombazine. Yeah, never said anything at yes, all. Yes, looked like Queen Victoria gone to sea. Yeah, just looked yeah. ba- look balefully at the children. Yeah. yeah. Um, and various people pointing out that... Uh, that the the, the 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 idea that we all hate sprouts is a myth. I love sprouts. I love sprouts. I love sprouts. Sprouts are fantastic. They're yeah. brilliant. They are the they I are the perfect food. Eat them all year round. Absolutely. So everybody, you know, piling on on the subject of uh, sprouts. Lucas Hare is you know the, one of his favourite foods. Uh, Patrick Crowther, he says one of the funniest things he ever saw involved a Brussels sprout. <laughs> Okay, that's a great. That's a good live o- radio. This opening <laughs> line for your autobiography, there, Patrick. Yes. Um, Many years ago, my two-year-old cousin Ben was sampling his first sprout at the Christmas dinner. It didn't pass the taste test, and he spat it out. Feeling that he had not yet adequately conveyed his dislike for the strange green ball he'd been encouraged to eat, he picked one off his plate and threw it across the table, hitting my granddad in the eye! <laughs> sprout in the Giles. eye. Nice. A sprout in the eye by it's a, Bauhaus. It's a, yeah. it's a Giles Christmas, <laughs> it's, isn't it? It's totally, yeah. That's because in a Giles. Giles Christmas, in the background, a child would have been ejected from a swing and will be in mid-air <laughs> heading over a house. <laughs> and everybody will be paying no attention to it. You know, because the Giles all stuffed the background. This is reminding me of one of my favourite threads on the website in the whole year, which is the thing, things that you see in cartoons that you never see in real life. Yes. Except gigantic Christmas puddings with frosting on the top <laughs> that are bigger than the person that's going to eat the Christmas pudding. Lenny Law weighs in with, what's the difference between... I can't talk today. Lenny Law weighs in with, what's the difference between sprouts and bogeys? Two-year-old boys won't eat sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is quite good, actually. I, I, I think I think we've got to save the sprout for the. For the it's time to rehab sprouts. I think it's it got to be, you know. Now this led to a conversation about uh, men's lack of imagination in present buying, and and a vigorous combina- uh, conversation about is it a cliche to say that all women uh, like like shoes? And I I, I I firmly believe it's not a cliche. At all. I actually it's put this to a woman the other day, and she agreed. So it's, it's a, a demonstrable fact, fact yeah. isn't it? And uh, Millie Molly Mandy weighs in with, uh, with her evidence. She says, and I love the way she puts this, she says, even when the rest of your body is heading steadily towards the right-hand end of the M&S clothes rail, you've got to he- eat a hell of a lot of cream cakes to go up a couple of shoe sizes. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, you know, there's basically, you know, the, the, the fundamental thing on a women's wardrobe is, is um, it's shoes, shoes and bags, actually. Yeah. They're, the, they're the most forgiving items. Uh, various discussion about uh, are we going to be watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life this Christmas and also does anybody still want to see special long editions of comedy favourites well, depends which comedy favourites they are doesn't it do they so still have long editions that's what I want to see Christmas thick of it yeah. well, I, don't, I don't know I've seen it for a while it's sort of fallen by the way Christmas oh actually no they did thingy um, uh, the Royal Family did no, one the Royal Family did one and what do you call it um, uh, Welsh uh, Gavin and Stacey. Gavin and Stacey, they did one yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, and it's just, it's amazing when you watch them. As much as you like them, they just have a certain rhythm 
to being 28 minutes long or yeah, whatever they and, are. And, 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 and Christmas specials always end in the same way as with everyone singing a carol. Yeah. Yes. In, in, a, in exactly yeah, gotta, that cliche that we've just talked about. Yeah, yeah. they've got to they've got to leave you that way, haven't they? They've got they've got simply no choice. So, what are you doing for Christmas, Andrew? Uh, at Christmas, I, I'm staying in London. Uh, me, and, me and the wife are staying in London. We will be stuffing ourselves, uh, and I will be waiting for the Christmas Doctor Who with bated breath. Right. Obviously, because that's the kind of person I am. And what are we eating on Christmas Day? We're having a rolled pork roast, possibly stuffed with apricots, because. We were we went over to the United States for Thanksgiving. We had turkey, and that's enough. That one turkey is enough for one year. Right. What about you, Fraser? Uh, well, my Christmases are generally quite quiet affairs. Cause, uh, <laughs> now, I, when you say quiet, we all say quiet after Christmas. People come back and say, "How was Christmas?" Everybody always goes, "How oh, quiet." Yeah, no, mine. But you mine, mean really quiet? Really quiet. I come from a very small family, or at least there's a few of them, but they're all over the world. I don't think I've ever been in a room with more than three people I've been related to at the same time. No, I've never had Seriously? a family Christmas. Yeah. And my sister How do you going to tell me more about that? You've never been with more than three of your relatives? I don't think so, no. Not like a family wedding or, a, you know? I've never been to a family wedding. Ah. And that's just because they're scattered? I, the funerals. Funerals. I've been in a room with cousins, I right. guess. There'd be like a dozen of them or something. But because uh, it's just me and my mother at Christmas, because my sister generally stays away. I don't know why that is. But uh, it's, so it's just you and your mum. And, and she, it's, because it's just the two of us, she's kind of given up on, on making an effort. So there's no tree, no decorations. Oh. <laughs> there'll be there'll be a this is Christmas <laughs> with Philip Larkin. <laughs> there'll be two presents laid out. Yeah. My present to her and her present to me, and that's pretty much it. Oh. And is she is she when you get up on Christmas morning? Is she kind of is she hoping you're going to get up early and open your present? And I be don't excited know. No, She'll have already gone to church by the time I get. Oh up. right, okay. Yeah. So, oh, that's extraordinary. And to make it worse this year, and I, I don't mean to offend her. I know she won't be listening. She's cooking. <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, I mean, in, in hasn't a, she realised that you're a better cook than she is? She, not she knows her. that she knows this, and she feels guilty that every year I, I go home and cook, and then this year has insisted that she does it. Revenge, which fills me with absolute dread. Because A, she's not very good, and B, she nearly poisoned me once with Christmas. <laughs> go on. It really is Christmas. <laughs> yeah. that, now, that's is. a Christmas yeah. pop song, isn't it? My, My mother poisoned, poisoned me at Christmas. Christmas. Yes. Go I, I got salmonella from an undercooked turkey she did once. Uh, Lay me up for weeks. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Will it be turkey this year? It'll be a very tiny turkey. It won't be turkey this year. It'll be something non-festive. Right. God. My late father-in-law, his favourite thing, the thing he loved doing more than anything else, and I say this with no disrespect at all, a great deal of affection, he loved complaining. Right. You know, he, he always felt, he was a devout watcher of Watchdog and That's Life and whatever, he always felt, the consumers are getting a raw deal, and any opportunity I get you know, to get my own back, I'm going to do it. And once they were staying with us years ago, and we woke up on Christmas morning to find that the turkey we brought from bought from a well-known store uh, and kept in the outhouse had gone off. Right. And we were saying, what are we going to do? And he goes, head office will still be open. And he, what, he had his coat on. He had his coat on. He had to be physically restrained from going out the front door, starting the car, and then driving down to this company's headquarters in Baker Street, where he knew that there would be a night watchman or some poor soul who'd, who'd pulled Christmas Day duty, where he could walk in with a rank turkey and slap, slap it, it on the counter. Say, and say, How dare you ruin the Christmas Day of my entire family? He, he wasn't expecting a replacement, he just wanted to complain. 
I think he, I think he probably, if he thought about it enough, he probably would have thought the chairman will somehow open up the Oxford Street branch. They do have an me. emergency stash of turkeys hidden in the basement of the headquarters, but no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, no, he was really looking forward to it. Well, coming from a meat trade family, I've got to say, I can see Mark Spencer's or whoever it was point the number of times we had people come back. And, well, I've kept the turkey on the radiator so it'd thaw out and it's gone off. Oh, God. And it's your fault. Oh, well, no. You know, it's just... I've... No, we're not as bad as that. We're not as bad as that. Now, just one piece of advice, and I speak as a, as a... You know, I've got all the scars of parenthood upon me. Um, one piece of advice for anybody listening to this who's got young children and they're constantly thinking, this Christmas is going to be perfect. It's going to be brilliant. They're five years old. They're whatever age they are. And we're going to enjoy every minute. Relax. The worst thing... The only thing I've ever learned as a parent is you can't make children happy... You could kill him with an undercooked turkey. <laughs> yeah. You can't make children happy, and you discover that it's, it's most profound on Christmas morning. Because the harder you try to make it perfect, the worse it'll go. And there'll be some really upset child, overexcited, overwrought, or, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, just with all these things, you just just got to learn to relax about them, yeah. haven't you? And not expect them to be perfect. That, nothing's that, perfect. That is one media Christmas uh, cliche that is true. Selection rocks for breakfast. Producing a freak out. <laughs> yeah. It really does happen. Yeah, yeah. And I still do that, actually. Curly whirly for breakfast. <laughs> Got to be done. So, well, that's about it for this year. And uh, we're just going to mi- wish everybody a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, readers. One and all. God bless us, everyone. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.